Blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding side. Thank you, Dave. As Ray said a minute ago, happy Father's Day. Today is a very special Father's Day in the life of Nathaniel Hilly. Uh, Nathaniel Hilly is the pastor that been praying, we've been praying for. They got a flesh-eating disease and they had to cut off his right arm all the way completely gone. Um, we have an update from his wife. And he says, home for the Hillies. I haven't given an update in a while as we have been so busy with doctor appointments, therapies, and asthma in the kiddos. Nate is doing well. By the way, Nathaniel Hilly is on sermon audio just like we are. So if you get a chance, look him up, Nathaniel Hilly, H-I-L-L-E. Nate is doing well. I'm so proud of him and all the things that he has had to learn or adapt. There have been some hard moments, some frustrating moments, some things we haven't figured out how to make except adaptable just yet. But I can say just how thankful I am for all the moments, both hard and beautiful. I mentioned recently to a friend, it's wild how the same situations can be hard, but also bring such thanksgiving, can be challenging, but also joy giving, can be frustrating, but also make you enjoy learning something new. The Lord is good. Specific prayers for right now. Nate, that he would continue to learn new things, including right now, he is working specifically on his handwriting. All the way. He lost his right arm, and he told me he's right-handed, so he's having to learn how to write with his left hand. That's right. Also, we need to get a few additional details ironed out with some prescriptions. For the kiddos, be praying for Jaman, J-Man, it's J-M-A-N, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce that, as he is getting over having some breathing issues, and for the other children that we stay healthy. We also continue to pray for their salvation. I could use prayers for the continued strength and help as we continue to navigate through, and that's from Brother Hilly's wife. Dad, lead us in this prayer, please, would you? Lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray for Brother Nathan Hilly Lord, I thank you for what thou hast done in bringing him through what he has come through. Lord God, I pray that you'll help him day by day. Strengthen him more and more. I would think that it would be a lot easier if he had lost his left arm because he's right-handed. But no, you chose to take his uh, right arm. And I pray, dear Lord, that you'll strengthen him and help him in learning how to do things in one sense of the word He's got to do it backwards to what he's accustomed to doing. Lord, help him to learn how to write with his left hand. 
helping their father in a, getting himself accustomed to living without his right arm. Oh God, do bless he and his wife and his children. Bless Brother Hilly's home. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to cover something over the next couple of minutes. I want to remind you very carefully this in this one. Do not respond. Okay? Do not respond to what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple of minutes or else you're going to tell something about yourself that you don't want to be told. Okay? So do not respond to this. One year ago, this coming Saturday, one year ago, this coming Saturday, was a historic event. Do not respond, but do you know what it was one year ago, this coming Saturday? If you don't, you should. You should. Roe versus Wade was overturned one year ago this coming Saturday. Again, do not respond or else you're going to out yourself. So just stay quiet when I'm going to share with you. Did it save any lives? Do you know the answer to that question? If not, you should. You should. I looked it up. Okay. According to CNN Health, and CNN is as close to neutral as you're going to get. Fox News, I don't trust their statistics. I don't trust CNBC specifics. H, H, um, MSNBC, I don't trust. CNN comes as close as I'm going to trust. You may trust other sources. Check the sources that you trust. According to CNN Health, there were an average of 5,000 fewer abortions nationwide, and that is our measuring stick. You can't go into the states that, that outlawed it because the theory is, is the people in those states just travel to the other state. According to CNN Health, there was an average of 5,000 fewer abortions nationwide per month. Whoa. Per month. Folks, that's 60,000 lives saved in one year. I suspect Fox News will make that number way higher. I suspect MSNBC will make it way lower. CNN, I think, is probably going to be fairly close on this one. Again, is that accurate? I haven't counted. But if it's inaccurate, people will be screaming because CNN gave a bad number. Okay? That's 60,000 lives saved in one year. Now, how many is 60,000? I'm going to show you 60,000 people. That's 60,000 people in one year. One year. What I'm going to put up next, don't respond or else you're going to out yourself. Okay, but I mean seriously what I'm about to say. Saturday is my Juneteenth. Okay, tomorrow is a federal holiday. It's called Juneteenth. If you don't know what it is, be thankful that you don't need to know what it is. But it affects certain people in our country very, very much, and I'm happy for them. It doesn't affect me. I have no relationship to it. And so I choose personally to make Juneteenth this coming Saturday for me. That is the day when God performed a miracle in this country because no one, no one expected Roe versus Wade to be overturned. No one did. 
Watch what happens next. Don't respond or else you'll out yourself. Gay marriage can be overturned in the exact same way. Roe versus Wade was a Supreme Court decision that was thrust on America. The, the, the Roe versus Wade is not a law that we voted on. It was something that the Supreme Court put on us. Yep. Gay marriage is something the Supreme Court put on us, and it can be overturned. My challenge to you is this. Thank the Lord for overturning Roe versus Wade. I thank the Lord every single day for overturning Roe versus Wade because it still amazes me that it's true. Pray that God ends gay marriage in the same way. It can happen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my Juneteenth. Thank you that statistically it did what I thought it was not going to do, and that was save lives. For whatever it did. Thank you. Father, please in gay marriage. This country has lost its mind when it comes to homosexuality. We have been thrust through the heart with gay marriage. And a lot of Christians don't see anything wrong with it. Please intervene like you did with Roe versus Wade. Thank you for whatever you're going to do because we know you're sovereign, you're in charge, and you're going to get what you want. So we trust your plan. Help us to relax while we do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Chronological study of the Bible, Proverbs 21. I tried to work that previous section into Proverbs, but there's not anything I could really make it fit, so uh, that's kind of why I made it separate. Verse 23 in Proverbs 21. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Whoso keepeth his mouth or controlleth his mouth um, um, binds his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. He's back on our words again. I don't know about you, but until I studied Proverbs, it did not occur to me how much that Solomon and, in reality, the Lord had to say about our words. But there is a tremendous amount about our words. Why is he back on our words again? Don't answer out loud, but where should you look for the answer? In my opinion, you should look at verse 22. I think that's why he's back on our words again. We ended with verse 22 last week. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. Now what in the world does that have to do with our words? Last Sunday we saw how that the wise man doesn't do it by strength. He doesn't overcome a city by his physical strength. He does it by outthinking them. He uses wisdom. And he can conquer a city by using wisdom. This, verse 23, keeping our mouth and tongue, is one of the most effective ways to minimize difficulty in life. Keeping our tongue is one of the most effective ways to overcome a city. On the other hand, not controlling our tongue will cause destruction 
in a city. It's amazing what can happen by one person using their tongue when they shouldn't. I'm going to tell you now something that happened at the gas company last week, and it still amazes me. We had a customer who had a small pinhole leak. Okay? This leak was so small that if you put a match to it, it would not burn. It was that small, but it was enough to, be, to smell. Our service guy went there, repaired it, and our service guy made a statement, and I'm not going to say what it is, but he made a statement. It was well-meaning. He was trying to be helpful. This customer told her neighbor what the service guy had said. The neighbor, who has nothing to do with any of it, put it on the website of the community. Our phones were overwhelmed with people the next day thinking they were all going to blow up. And we had to respond to every one of them. Every single one of them. All of them, after we talked to them, said, I'm sorry, I did not realize that it was that insignificant. Keeping our tongue in our mouth can be very helpful or very hurtful in our own life and in the lives of others. Ask Peter. Ray read about Peter saying, I'll never deny you. What is the most famous thing that Peter ever said? The most famous thing that Peter ever said is, I'll never deny you. That's the most famous thing. He wrote two books of the Bible. He his speeches are in the book of Acts, but the most famous thing that he said is, I'll never deny you. We must try to control our tongues. This is something that is very, very <coughs> important to me because I have been aware of this my whole life and I have ignored it my whole life. I've always looked at it as like, well, my comedy, so to speak, helps people remember what I said. And so I tried to pepper things with comedy. And it occurred to me the number of times that what I said was just not inappropriate totally outweighed all of it. It's outweighed all of it. I'm working very hard not to make jokes at all, ever. And not because you said it. Dad is, for, for years, I've been coming here for 14 years, by the way, this week. 14 years. Dad has said at least... 30, 40 times in 14 years, we don't come here for jokes. And every single time I thought, unless you need them for an illustration, then you use them. I'm convinced we don't need them for an illustration. Now this is something that's for me, I'm not saying that other preachers should do this, certainly people on Sermon Audio, you do what the Lord leads you to do. Amen. We have to watch the words that come out of our mouth even if we're trying to help somebody, we can cause damage. The guy that wrote that article on the website, what do you think his reputation is in the park right now? Actually, it's a subdivision with over 600 homes. What do you think his reputation is? Verse 24. Proud and haughty scorner is his name. Proud and haughty scorner is his name. 
Now, we can look at the word proud and give it a definition very specific. We can look at the word haughty, give it a very specific definition. We can look at the word score, give it a very specific definition. But for our purposes, which is very just superficial, I'm not, I don't want to go real deep into the Proverbs. We could spend a week on every single one of them. For our purposes, proud, proud mocker. Proud, proud mocker. Haughty is proud, proud is proud, scorner means mocker. Proud, proud marker, mocker. Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. The third time he's mentioned the concept of pride in here. And technically it's the fourth time because mocking always comes from a source of pride. He dishes out selfish anger. He dishes out selfish anger. That's the specific person that this guy does. And I submit to you, the internet is packed full of this stuff. <laughs> it's packed full of it. I'm thankful for the internet. It enables sermon audio to go out. If it was for the internet, sermon audio, I'd have to still be mailing out cassette tapes. And trust me, that was not fun. I'm very thankful for the biblical resources that helped Ray. It's been a tremendous help to me in sermon preparation. I'm, I love the internet, but it is packed full of people dishing out selfish anger. The things they're talking about don't really affect them, but they have a very, very strong opinion about it. There are people online that actually make a living by dishing out selfish anger. But I submit to you, this goes down to church level. People dishing out selfish anger just because they don't like what's going on and they're not afraid to tell you they don't like what's going on. What's interesting to me, I've seen this many times over the years to where in a business meeting, someone has a very strong opinion about a subject. The subject does not get voted on because clearly the church has not made a decision on it. I've seen this several times. The next week, we ask, should we do anything about such and such? And that same person says, what are you talking about? They can't even remember the topic. But in the heat of the moment, proud, proud, selfish anger. Okay, The color of the carpet, should there be carpet? All This stuff just absolutely goes nuts in churches. And then the next day, I don't even remember the topic. It's, it's, it's amazing how this works. Put these verses together. Verse 23, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles with proud and haughty scorner who dealeth in proud wrath. Put those verses together and he multiplies difficulty in his life and others' lives. He multiplies difficulty in his life and in others' life. Over what? Really, over what? Several of you have been members of other churches. I'm sure you've got your own stories. But I've seen hundreds and hundreds of issues in churches that once they're decided, nobody even remembers them anymore. I've seen members get mad, get mad and leave. Over what? It just doesn't make any sense. It multiplies problems is all it does. Don't listen to this person. 
Don't listen to this person. Especially if he's trying to help you. And I put that word helping here. I did not ask Michelle's permission for this because that's her husband, I don't need it. See, that was a joke and went over like a rock. I need to quit the copy. Can I tell what happened at your work? Okay. There is a person at Michelle's work who is very good at the job, been doing it since the restaurant was opened at Disney. Disney's restaurants are themed, which means you have to not only be a server, but you've got to act in character. You've got to make the, the guests feel like they're at that environment. Michelle's environment is the Jungle Cruise, and so she's got to act like I'm a jungle skipper and I drive a boat, which she doesn't do. But still, she has to do it. This person who has been there since day one came to her, and if I get this wrong, raise your hand, okay? And basically said, if you want my help, I'll be glad to help you. Well, how would you feel if somebody at your job just out of nowhere came and said, if you want my help, I'll be glad to help you? Like, who do you think you are? Okay? He's insinuating she's not doing something right. She's been doing it for two years. She said, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll learn what I can learn. He said, tomorrow we'll meet at such and such a time. Less than an hour later, this person goes to another of the employees who happens to be Michelle's friend and begins telling Michelle's friend all the reasons why he now has to help Michelle. Uh, uh, oh boy. <laughs> the friend says, hey Michelle, you need to know this. Michelle gets so upset, she almost has to leave work. She calls me, and she's telling me all this is going on. Don't answer out loud. What advice would you give to a family member who experienced that at work? What advice? Don't, don't say anything out loud. But what advice would you give? A lot of people say, just quit. Just quit. Okay, the problem is, is then you got to look for another job. That's not the advice I gave her. I asked her one question. I said, why do you care what they say? Well, there's problems going on. He actually used the word, they're building a case against her. That's the word, they're building a case. I said, is he your boss? No. I said, so what case is it that they're building that you heard from them? Well, I haven't heard anything from them. I said, when a supervisor, a manager comes to you and says, we're building a case or you need help, then be concerned. Until then, ignore it. It's just nonsense. And you know what? That's all it was. Nothing came of it. Nothing. But they're just trying to help. That's all they're doing is trying to help. If he or she starts talking about someone who isn't there, and I am convinced this is the trigger. This is the trigger. This is how you tell when gossip's about to start. I'm convinced of this. If he or she starts talking about someone who isn't there, he's dealing in proud wrath. 
If he starts talking about someone who isn't there, he's dealing in proud rap. Why? Because he's not going to that person directly. He's chicken. He's scared. But he wants to feel significant. So he's going to work through you to kick the other person. That's exactly what's going on right there. He is doing the same with them. He who will gossip with me will gossip about me. Never forget that. That's not in the Bible, but I submit to you the concept is in Scripture. People who will talk about other people behind their back will talk about you behind your back. End of story. It will happen. If you don't want people to talk about you behind your back, don't talk about other people behind their back. It hurts. It hurts everybody. If it's important, go to the person and deal with it and get it over with, especially in church. This stuff, this should never be heard of in church. But it's being taught from Scripture, which is only read by people who go to church. What does that say? It says that people who go to church need this. Verse 25. The desire of the slothful killeth him. Now he's slothful, so what is his desire? His desire is to be lazy. He wants to not do stuff. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. I want to ask you this question. Don't answer out loud. Is this always true? In our society, is it ever true? In our society, is it ever true? Hard work, folks, is rarely fun. And a lot of people have decided they don't want to do it. A large percentage of people have decided they don't want to go to work. And you know what? They get away with it. They, there's a system that gets worked and they get away with it. God set up hard work not to be fun. It's designed not to be fun. Genesis 3.17 Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow, in hard work, in unfun, shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. God set work up to be hard to remind us of something. Why did God put pain in childbirth? It reminds us of Adam and Eve. Why did God make work, work hard? It reminds us of Adam and Eve. There's a purpose behind work not being fun. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return to the ground, for out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. What did God say there? He says, you're being too proud, Adam. You don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. You're dirt, my friend. Why should the lazy get to sleep in? Why should the lazy get to play video games? Why should the lazy get lost surfing on the web while I have to go to work? This is a real question. I have to get up. 
I have to go to work. Why should they not have to? But they do. The desire of the slothful killeth him. The cure for laziness has always been hunger. But we don't want anybody to be hungry. And so we will give them enough just to survive. I submit to you the verse is still true though because people who are paid just to survive wind up dead. Okay? There are homeless people in Winter Garden that I, I recognize and then suddenly they're gone. Where'd they go? Find out they died. It happens all the time. The desire of the sloth will kill them. If we really want to help them, let's get involved with them, let's find out what the problem is, and let's make sure they do what they need to do or cut them off. This is exactly the same solution for drug addicts. We don't give drug addicts just enough drugs so they don't kill somebody. Right? We take the drugs away. It's exactly the same problem. Exactly. 26. He coveteth greedily all day long. That's the lazy in the last verse. He coveteth greedily all the day long. He wants it because he didn't earn it. He wants it because he didn't earn it. But the righteous giveth and spareth not. Now I want you to let that sink in. The righteous giveth and spareth not. Does this say the righteous is supposed to help him? Don't answer out loud. Does this say the righteous is supposed to help him? <clears throat> As I'm teaching chronologically, I don't know everything that's coming up. And so when I get a strong opinion on something like this, I always risk running to a verse like this that I've overlooked and maybe having to say, well, what I taught you before is not exactly right. You've got to change what I taught you before. Does this verse say that I've got to change what I taught you before? Yes. And no. Yes and no. Does this say the righteous is supposed to help him? Yes, we are supposed to help him, but not with money. Not with money. If we help them with money, we contradict so many other verses. We cannot let one verse be the source of everything in spite of other verses. They've all got to be true. This is, this is job one in developing all doctrine. You cannot contradict other verses. Help him see what he did wrong. Help him see how he got there. Be generous with what God has given us. Not the money, but the time, the wisdom, the experience. Help him see what he did wrong. Offer to supervise him for a month or two. Well, I don't want to do that. I just want to give him five bucks and be done with him. You're helping him to die. I'm not going to ask how many people have done this, but I tell you this, I would not teach something that I have not done myself. And this will work. This will work. I don't want to tell you exactly how I did it because I don't want it to sound prideful, but I'm telling you, offer to supervise them for a month. This will work. This will help real people in need. It will help them, guaranteed. 
this will either fix the problem or explain why we won't give him the money. But I've had it go both ways. I've had it go both ways. I've had some people say, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, that's why I'm not going to give you any money. And you know what? They go somewhere else because it's easy to get. All you got to do is go to another church. There are people, I know this to be true, there are people that go church to church to church in one Sunday until they finally hit one that pays. Okay? That's why they will not sit through the service. They'll never sit through the service. Used to, they would. Not anymore. Ask them to sit through the service, they say, I can't do that because the next church might give it to me and also the church after that might give it to me. So they lose literally three opportunities there if they sit through yours. And so they're not going to take that risk. Figure out what's really going on. Our church has a benevolence committee. I'm on it. Kay is on it. Dave Hines is on it. Now put that together, and only on Sunday morning is even two of us here. Okay? Sunday night and Wednesday night, only one of us is here. And so Dave and I depend greatly on Kay's input. There was one that came up three weeks ago, I believe. And I made the comment, I think we should do it. And Kay came to me later when she was with me and said, you don't know the whole story. We did not wind up, we wound up not helping this person because this person was not going to use the money properly. We would have been helping this person do the wrong thing, so we didn't do it. Be praying that God gives us three people on this committee in all three services. I, I would love to see that. This is a job you don't want unless God wants you to have it. I guarantee you that because it is very, very hard to figure out if God wants you to spend his money in a certain way. It's hard to do, but it is his money. And he wants to spend a certain way, and our job is to find out how he wants his money spent. But we need to have three people on the premises so that when it comes up at night, Kay's not on her own trying to deal with it all by herself. Either it will fix the problem. And a lot of times it does. They say, you know what? I didn't realize I was doing that. Or it'll explain why we're not going to help them. But the problem does go away every single time. Guaranteed. 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. Now this verse is troubling. And it should be troubling. Sacrifices were supposed to make sins go away temporarily, were they not? Isn't that their job? To make sins go away? Only the blood of Jesus can make sin go away permanently. But sacrifices, the whole job was to make sin go away temporarily. Why would God reject it? The sacrifice of the wicked is abomination. Why would God reject something that's designed to take away the sin that they're accused of? He's not seeking Jesus. He's wicked. He's not seeking Jesus. How much more then when he bringeth it with a wicked mind? The first line is his action. The second line is his intent. How much more would he bring with it with a wicked mind? He's seeking permission to sin. That's what he's doing. He offers the sacrifice to wipe his feet and move on. 
He offers a sacrifice to wipe his feet and move on. Offers a sacrifice to wipe his feet and move on. We do the exact same thing. Lord, forgive me my sins, and then we're going to do the same thing again. We are sinners. We're going to sin. But when we seek permission to sin, we've added so much to that, and we need to admit it at least. At least admit, God, I'm only doing this because you said I had to, but I really, really, really like doing this sin. Admit it to Him. He knows it. He knows it. Or we can just deny it and stray from Him because we're ashamed to be with Him. Or we can try really, really, really and suppress it and hold it down until it explodes. I submit to you the best way to deal with any sin is to talk about it. And talking to God is the best person you can talk to. So at least just admit it. Just admit it. Lord, I'm sorry that I keep doing this. That's a, it's a healthy prayer. Unless we're not. If we're not sorry we keep doing it, certainly don't say forgive my sins because God's not impressed with that. That's the sacrifice of the wicked. That's seeking permission to sin. God hates that. It's an abomination. There are very few things in Scripture that's abomination, but this is one of them. God hates it when we use what He has set up to make it easier for us to do the wrong thing. And I submit to you, we do it all the time. One way that we do it is when we take truth, doctrine, Bible, and use it to beat people up. A lot of preachers use what they believe to beat people up. It needs to be done in love. And I'm worse at it than anybody. Why am I so bad at it? Because I was raised that everybody else was wrong. And that put in me this pride that I'm right and everybody else is not. Why are they wrong? They haven't been taught. They haven't been taught. And so my goal, and I think our goal should be, instead of beating people up, teach them. Now sometimes teaching gets a little intense to make sure the point gets across. But teach people what God does expect and then let them answer to Him. That, I find that works a whole lot better. Verse 28. A false witness shall perish. A false witness is a liar about something that happened. A false witness often is a gossip, but not necessarily. It could be in court. A false witness shall perish. Don't answer out loud, but does this happen in our society today? I submit to you very rarely it happens quickly. Very rarely does it happen quickly. If Jesus doesn't pay for it, that false witness will have to pay for it in hell. Eventually, that false witness, whatever it is he's, he's talking that's not true, whether it's in court or in gossip, it will have to be paid for. Either Jesus paid for it, or in hell they will pay for it. But he must also face the consequences 
from those he has misled. That's also perishing. He won't be listened to anymore. One of which, they will no longer even pay attention to him. He loses his credibility. How many times have we met somebody that said, this happened and it really didn't. This happened and it really didn't. And suddenly, what they say doesn't mean anything to us. It just doesn't mean anything. He loses his credibility. That's part of what's going to happen with him. But the man that heareth speaketh constantly. The man that heareth speaketh constantly. Does that make sense? The man that heareth speaketh constantly. I'm going to let you chew on that this week. And we'll deal with this next Sunday. The man that heareth speaketh constantly. See if you can come up with that. I think that I have the answer, but I'm not positive, and I'm hoping one of you will correct me. Father, thank you for the Proverbs. Thank you for the wisdom it gives. Thank you for the protection that they give. Please forgive me for teaching things that I don't do myself. Please convict me. Please draw me close to you. Please show me where I need to change. Please help me admit when I need to change. Thank you for loving me in spite of the fact that I don't change like I should. In Jesus' name, amen.